Hello, Dad. Hi, Rai. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm alright. Not too bad. Yeah. Back in Jersey. Yep. We've made it back to New Jersey. Welcome. Alright. Thanks. Thanks for having me here. Of course. I mean, it's your house, so <laughs> I guess thanks for well, having me here. Thanks for having you here. Yeah. I love having you here. Thanks, Dad. I love being here with my family. Good, good, good. There's this unrest, rightfully so, happening right now in America with uh, our black community and and they're rising up against the racial injustices that they see every day, which started with the murder of George Floyd. I think it kind of started before that with Armored Omri and his murder and then Breonna Taylor and then George Floyd. Obviously, George Floyd was the most... Um, it was right in our faces. There was a video of it, and uh, this cop was using excessive force and murdered him in, in daylight, videotape, plenty of witnesses, and... There it is. It's um, obviously a very troubling time in our country. It's really nothing that uh, is new. Um, I think that the protests out there have... A significance in the fact that people should be listening to the people out there as to what has happened. Obviously, in regards to the law enforcement community, they have to be listening as to what the community, their community, is saying about what happens and how uh, incidents like this should not happen. I think that uh, obviously. Uh, there are a lot of good men and women who are law enforcement officers out there. Um, and the acts of this officer were without question beyond any scope of what a police officer uh, should be doing. There is no police officer in America who's been trained to do what that officer did. And there should be outrage in the community about how can a police officer, who we give great trust to, you know, they're the only members of our society that we give trust to, arrest someone, take somebody into custody, put them in jail, uh, shoot someone. And we give them that trust because we believe that they're going to do uh, a good job for the, for the community. Yeah, I mean, well, white people believe that. Like, I I believe that growing up. But I think it's, it's different when it's a black person in this country. They... Are, do not believe that the police are there to protect them and and they believe that when they see a police officer that they're either going to be killed or arrested or beat up well again uh, that's part of the listening process all right i think that we're not going to change past history but we're going to have to understand what is being said as to what you've just talked about mm-hmm. and how the white community and the black community can work together. So there is not that belief that individuals, because of the color of their skin, are targeted by the law enforcement community. So there has to be an undertaking in America. Mm-hmm. And you can see it. It stretches from the, the West Coast to the East Coast to the South to the North. There is a complete message that's being sent, and somebody has to listen. And, and the first people that have to listen are those who are in charge. And uh, those who are in charge of the police departments, those who are in charge of municipalities, those who are in charge of our government, all need to be listening because no one should be 
living in fear of the people that are sworn an oath mm-hmm. to to protect them. Yeah, and I think vice versa. Our country and our police officers and our people and white people should not live in fear when they see a black person. It's it's just utter racism and people need to look in the mirror and they need to really, really look at themselves and say, what can I do better? And how can I help my fellow brother and sister and and be anti-racist and raise my children anti-racist? And, and I certainly have self-reflected this past couple days and looked at how I could be better and, and I want to be better. And I, I, I want everybody to just realize that this country is hurting and the black community is hurting and they need to be listened to. Right. And I couldn't agree more. I think that uh, individuals uh, from your uh, age group, uh, black, Latino, Asian Americans have all suffered some prejudices along the lines. And you would think that you know, we have made strides over the last, say, 50 years with the Civil Rights Act, but we have a long way to go. Absolutely, a long, long way to go. And, and it, I, I do believe it starts at home. And I think I was lucky enough to be raised by you and mom who, you know, stood on that side of history and who fought for civil rights and who fought for equality. And I feel lucky to be in that situation. And it just, it, it has to begin at home too. We have to be teaching our children to, to be this way and, and to love and we're all human. Races, we're all human and just let's all be human together. There's a, there's a big, big belief in all of us that we can get along, uh, but we got to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And it's about time racism fucking died. Like 2020, 2020 is a fucking year, man. Like we got to kill it now. Like this is it. I'm, I'm so sick of this year. If one good thing can come out of 2020, let's end racism. Just put it in the, let's just fucking end it. Fire all the racist cops. Get the racist po- politicians. Vote. Vote people. I need you to vote. I, I know you're very passionate about this and uh, rightly so. Thanks, dad. All right, so this episode is going to be about one of my dad's cases. However, we're in the works to getting maybe our first guest on. I think it's time, and I think I think it's important to amplify black voices at this moment in time. So my dad has a friend. Who we've worked together over the years, establishing the Bias Crimes Unit in the prosecutor's office, head of our special projects unit, um, wonderful man, and... Uh, has been on the uh, forefront on on all of these issues for a long, long time. So our hope is to get him here, and then let's do an episode with him. Yeah, that would be great. And and I want to talk to him about what he thinks is going on now and how he he thinks that things can be better and, and to to change the system, to make it equal for everybody. And, and I'm really looking forward if that conversation does happen. Yeah, I think it will. Yeah. Okay, great. So today, however, we're going to be talking about a case. We've kind of been prepping for this for a while now, and this is actually going to be a two-part episode because there's just so much that goes into this episode. And, and this case, hearing about it from my dad first it sounds like it's something out of a movie. I just feel like everything times up that this could be made into a movie. And if it is, I want the rights to it. So 
This is the murder of Andrea Healy. Now, before we really go into her death and and what happened to her, Dad, can you just tell us a little bit about what you know about who Andrea Healy was? Yes, so Andrea Healy was a 35-year-old woman who owned a condominium in Tinton Falls, New Jersey. She was the the divorced mother of four children, school-aged children, uh, who lived in North Jersey. So she was in the process of selling her condominium in Tinton Falls and relocating back with her parents, I believe in Wayne, New Jersey. It is during this period of time where she had a job as the manager of a video store up in Irvington, New Jersey. So she was had her parents up there, she had her children up there, she had her job up there, but she had a condo here in Tinton Falls. So she decided to put it on the market. When she put it on the market, she left it vacant for a period of time, and that condo then became the scene of ultimately her murder. So let's talk about Donald Franks. I did quite a bit of intel on him and his background, and it sounds like really, really rough background pretty much starting when he was born. When he was born, he had a large growth under his arm, and his father, also named Donald Franks, rejected him immediately because of this growth, saying he was defective, which is, like, fucked up. And also, it's a growth under your arm. Like, why do you care? That's your child. That's That just seems really, really... I don't know. To totally deny your son when they have a growth under the arm, I feel like that that person must have some underlying issues going on. So he immediately rejects his son saying he's defective. I don't know what was going through his mind, but two months after Donald Franks is born, he leaves. He abandons his family and he never contacts them again. So he's like, peace out, I'm gone. Now his mother, Jay Demiglio, she remarries after her husband leaves to a guy named Anthony Demiglio, and he sounded really fun. He would lock Donald Franks in the basement. He one time beat him so badly he was unconscious for breaking a window, which is like, kids do crazy shit, who cares? And then Jay Demiglio, she had her own psychological problems as well. She was very abusive towards her son. As a child, she repeatedly beat him, and one time knocked him to the ground with a baseball bat, yelling that she would kill him. And if he wasn't such a piece of shit, his father wouldn't have left him, which is like, lady, you're the one holding the bat to a child. I'd just be reflective a little bit there. So it sounded like she had some issues, but dad, like, I think I was reading this. Did she work for the prosecutor's office? One time she worked for the prosecutor's office, exactly. Now, you got to understand that all of that description of his family life actually comes from Donald Franks. Mm -hmm. So whether or not it's absolutely true is subject to question. Um, And, but yeah, she did work in the prosecutor's office as a secretary and they were estranged. His mother and Donald Franks were not, you know, together for any reasonable period of time. Mm -hmm. At the time of the death of Andrea Healy, he was 19 years of age. Mm -hmm. He had dropped out of high school he had been arrested. Mm-hmm. He had gone to a reformatory. Well, okay, so back to, okay, so maybe all of this is made up, but it seems like no matter what, he did go through some shit either. Well, and I mean, you know, she also, Jay Demiglio, who worked for prostitutes, it seems like she could have also endured some physical abuse. So I'm not saying she, you know, isn't a victim here as well, because she certainly could be. If, if his stepfather, her husband, is locking her son away, I have to assume there's some other 
in-home abuse going on and I think it just goes to show you never know what's going on in someone's home you never know who they are at home you never know those things but he continued that he started drinking at age seven started doing hardcore drugs at age 14 like acid and quaaludes which just blows my mind I mean you know as a developing brain that can't be good and then he had some developmental issues shocking you know he wasn't adjusting in school he as you mentioned he he dropped out of school in 10th grade and he was placed in special ed classes when he was school he was bullied he would get into fights and then as you mentioned he was arrested at really young like 15 years old for criminal mischief i don't really know what that means and then he was arrested again he was arrested for aggravated sexual assault involving a boy at a youth shelter so Seems like he has this long history of abuse and substance abuse and uh, abuse of other people. So it does sound like he, you know, he went through some shit, um, whether or not he made it all up or not. But at this point, he is completely estranged from his mom, as you mentioned. And when he gets out of the reformatory, he has nowhere to go. Right. So who takes him in? But Andrea Healy. Yeah, so that's kind of where this case begins. Um, and how do him and Andrea Healy know each other? Well, Andrea and his mother, Jay Demiglio, were friends. And Andrea Healy felt a need to protect uh, or at least give him shelter and care and maybe even some direction in his life. And she actually allowed him to stay at the condominium in Tinton Falls and allowed him to be there when she was not there and represented to to her co-workers that he was her foster son. So she had a, a, a connection with him. And from all accounts, Andrea Healy was a very generous person. I mean, I'd say so. She's, you know, taking in this boy who... And it's it's kind of funny because it's like her friend's son, right? And she decides to take him in, which is so generous. It's like a big sacrifice to allow to do that. Then she decides to move in with her elderly parents and help them, right? Right. And her job's up there, and, and she decides that that's where she's going to stay. So she puts her place on the market. Okay. So she puts her place on the market. While it's on the market, Donald Franks is staying there. And it seems like she kind of comes back and forth a little bit, maybe stays there a couple days a week. And, and I mean, it's her place, but she lets Donald Franks. So I think where the trouble begins is when he meets this 16-year-old girl, Kimberly Burdan. So how did Donald Franks and Kimberly Burdan meet? Well, they met on uh, at the time. This is in now May of 1988. They met on what is known as a party line. My God, there was what no... the hell is a party line? <laughs> well, a party line is where you would pay a fee um, to get on the line with a bunch of other kids, and you'd make connections. So this is before texting, before... Before Tinder. Before Tinder. Do you tin- know what Tinder is, Dad? Uh, it's a dating app? It sure is. Right. Tinder and Bumble and Hinge and... How about Match.com? Grinder, huh? Match.com? Well, that is for, like... People my age? 
I would say like more like if you're in your like mid 30s yeah. and up and you're like serious about finding somebody I think you have to pay for it which the other apps you don't really have to pay for and I think it's more like legitimate all the apps as far as I know are kind of just for hookups oh. like people do meet on them for sure I've had friends that have met people on them know people it's I think it's a great way to meet somebody in this day and age but you, gotta, um, you have to be kidding right <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, here's the thing about our generation, Dad. Like, chivalry is dead, in my opinion. I'm very lucky. I am married. My husband did take me out on a date when we met. He fed me, and that's when I knew. That's when I knew that it was it was the real deal. He's a good boy. He's a good boy. Um, but a party line, I mean, that just sounds like a good time. Right. So he – yeah, and you have to pay a fee. So every time you get on the party line, you have to pay – so he was making these calls from Andrea Healy's condominium in Tinton Falls, and he meets uh, on this party line Kimberly Burdan, who was a 16-year-old. Uh, what is she doing on this? Like, Well, well what, are, what are people doing on Tinder? I mean, they're looking to meet people. Yeah, but they're not 16. I mean, God, I don't know. Are there? <laughs> please, please no. I hope there's not 16-year-old. I don't think you can be 16 and be on Tinder. But anyway, so they meet, and uh, he actually after he gets to talk to her on party line and he actually meets her in Hawthorne, New Jersey, where they're from North Jersey. Oh, and, uh, so creepy. He actually moves in and hides in her house and lives with her. Wait at her house. Yes. Unbeknownst to her parents. What the fuck? Yeah. So he's, she sneaks him in. He's there for four or five days and ultimately, uh, they decide to run away together. Oh, my God. All right. So before we get there, so he starts bringing her to his apartment and hanging out. And this is when tensions are starting to rise with Andrea because she discovers that, one, the 16-year-old is sleeping over and, and she's at the house. And two, that the party line has racked up this enormous bill. Right. Over $1,000. <laughs> calling the party line. You know, the phone bill, I think, which we introduced later, we'll talk about, uh, was 45 pages. I want to bring the party line back, man. This <laughs> sounds like a good time. So, the, yeah, so, and during the course of this now, Kimberly Burdan decides to run away with Donald Franks. And where do they run away to? They run away to the condo in Tinton Falls. Okay, so they're camping out. Andrea's not happy. She kicks him out. Well, she kicks out Donald. Okay. And um, she then gets a, a call from Kimberly Burdan's mother. What happens is that Kimberly Burdan goes missing, and the parents are now really freaking out. They know that she may be hanging out with Donald Franks, but they don't know where he is. They don't know where she is. So the mother contacts Andrea Healy and says that she believes that Kimberly Burdan is with Donald Franks. With that, Andrea Healy calls the Tinton Falls Police Department wow. and says that he's not allowed in my condominium. I've kicked him out. He's not supposed to be there. He may have a young girl who's with him. Her parents are freaking out, looking for her. And the dispatcher says to her, well, maybe you should come down and file a burglary report. So when Andrea's calling them, she's in North Jersey. Correct. She's not at the place, but she's like... I, I know they're there. I've kicked them out. They're still, like, coming to the house. 
and and so then she calls the cops. Right. She calls the cops initially and says they're not supposed to be there. The, the dispatcher tells her, well, if you want to come down and make a burglary report, then why don't you do that and uh, let, let us know when you get down. So she comes down that evening, uh, May 24th, 1988, and she says to the calls the police again and says, listen, he's been in the house and he's not supposed to be here. She makes a final call around 10.15 saying that she'd like a police officer to come over so she could file a report. So she makes three phone calls. One, you know, you know, I don't want him in there. Number two, I'm coming down. All right. Number three, I'm here. I'd like you to send a, a police officer over. Do the police come? They do. They come around 11 o'clock. They knock on her door. There's no response. Uh, all the lights are out. And the officer who responds believes that she may have left. She may have come down and now she had left. Um, now what happens the next day? So that's Tuesday night. And Wednesday, now she doesn't show up for work at the, the video store where she's the manager. And she's known by all the employees as being very punctual, being there on time, making sure that the, the rest of the staff and employees are there. So they begin to worry. I mean, she's a manager of a store. It's like a pretty right. big position to just not show up for right. the day. And in 1988, video stores? They, they were, were popping. They were hopping. They were popping. They were hopping. They were popping. Right. And uh, they were lit. I know. We, 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 it we, sounds so old when I say lit now, and I'm like a 29 year old. Right. You, <laughs> and it's, yeah, I'm just, I'm officially, you, I'm officially old. Anyway, you continue. Yeah, your next birthday. And uh, that so. Was, that was fucked up. <laughs> and uh, so the people at the video store, they contact her parents to see if she's home, see if there's anything wrong with her. Parents haven't heard from her. And so on Thursday, they contact the Tinton Falls police around uh, seven o'clock in the evening saying that we haven't heard from our daughter in two days. She didn't show up for work. We'd like you to do a good and welfare check on her apartment. So the police then do a good and welfare check and at the insistence of her parents, and they enter the apartment and they see that uh, the bedroom of the apartment has been freshly painted. So real quick, can they just, on a welfare check, you can go in? Well, it, it yes, you can go in if there is a reasonable belief that someone is in jeopardy of harm or has been harmed. Right, and I feel like those steps are, she didn't show up for work, she's not at her parents, her apartment is dark. Right. Like All of those things combined... You know, give the the police... And the, not even murder. I mean, she, she could have just tripped and fallen. Right. She could have had an accident. Mm -hmm. She could have fell in the bathroom, fell in the kitchen. Uh, and that's what a good and welfare check is about, just to check to see if everybody's okay. And if somebody's not okay, then to render them aid. Mm -hmm. uh, so they enter the apartment, uh, the condominium, and they see that the bedroom has been freshly painted and that the carpet has been ripped up. And also that... You know, the, the initial responding police officers see what they suspect may be blood. So they now um, do what they're supposed to do, and they contacted the Monmouth County Prosecutor's Office, indicating that, listen, this woman's missing, her apartment was dark, there's evidence it looks like somebody had done some uh, repairs to the apartment, and also we found this note, which is kind of 
suspicious because it says that I'm on my way to Canada. I'm going to be there for about three weeks. So if you're looking for me, you know, don't bother. I'm going to be away for three weeks. Now, her parents had no idea that, you know, she was going to Canada or going away. They expected her to be home that night. People at work expected her to be there the next day. So the note didn't make any. So that added another layer of suspicion that something's going on. So they contacted the prosecutor's office and prosecutor's office forensics team showed up with a search warrant to search the apartment. They also began to search the grounds. Mm -hmm. And so what they located at the time was the fact that there was a mattress that was discarded in the woods, which also appeared appeared to be bloodstained. And the forensic detectives... They just chucked a mattress in the woods? They dragged a mattress into the woods. Don't even burn it? And put it into a creek. They were into... It was like into a a pond or a creek. And the forensics team, who were led by Detective Jimmy Burns and Bruce Newman, began to do some analysis of the bedroom. And the walls had been freshly painted. The carpet had been removed. But I remember Jimmy Burns had took a screwdriver and pried away the baseboard in the bedroom. And immediately after he pried away the baseboard, you could see that blood had dripped down behind the baseboard and was clearly evident. Ugh, why wasn't I a detective? That sounds so cool. Wow. So he was probably like, we got a homicide. Right. So everybody now on Thursday night night leading into Friday, uh, Thursday night is suspecting foul play. Yeah, I would say so. So while all this is going on, Where is Kimberly and where is Donald? Where did they go? So in the early morning hours now of Wednesday, Kimberly Burdan and Donald Franks take Andrea Healy's car. They take some credit cards and they travel south. They travel down to the boardwalk, I believe, Point Pleasant. They're on a date. Uh, They're taken in the sights. It's sunrise over the ocean. Ah, to be in love. All the while. Andrea Healy is in the trunk of her car. Oh, my God. And so they get in the car, and they drive further south. They drive all the way down to Cape May County. Wow, that's far, people. Yeah, so that's another, you know, hour, hour and a half. And the two of them then take her body out of the car and dispose it off of the parkway. Oh, my God, she's 16. And she's dumping a body with her boyfriend? Okay, this is where I draw the line. I am not a ride or die. I will call the cops on your ass. I don't care who you are. Dad, you murder someone? 911. Right. Frank, my husband, I'm gonna get you. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not gonna hide a body for you. I'm so sorry. That's where I draw the line, people. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's very good. I appreciate that, that you're gonna... And, you know, there may have been some uh, manipulation of Kimberly Burdan being 16 years of age. There may have been some power uh, issues involved. Uh, and, you know, Donald Franks mm-hmm. was later described in, as a manipulator. So what happens after they dump the body? So... They dumped the body on the side of the road, dip, you know, a little bit off there uh, of the parkway. And as they're leaving, they were making a, a U-turn, and they were stopped by the cops. Classic. Now, the police in Wildwood Crest, who made the stop, determined that Donald Franks didn't have a license and that the registration of the car belonged to Andrea Healy. So they questioned him about him driving the car, and he said that his aunt, 
Andrea Healy had lent it to him. So the police also identified Kimberly Burdan. There was an all-points bulletin out for her as well as a runaway. Wow. So the police detained her uh, until her parents could come, issued Donald Frank's two motor vehicle citations, and then let him go, and he walked away from the police headquarters. They let him go? Here's what I don't understand about that. A missing person report is out about this 16-year-old girl, and they find her in custody of a 19-year-old man. I don't care if they're dating, whatever. There's something weird about that. There's something off about that. If there's a missing person report, don't you think they'd bring him in for questioning? Well, listen, I think at the time that Kimberly Burdan was indicating that she was voluntarily with him, although she was 16 and her parents still had the ability to, you know, kind of, you know, deter that relationship, there was nothing at the time when he was released to have him connected to any death of Andrea Healy. Right, because they're like all the way in Cape May County. They don't know what's going on. I still think it's weird that when a 16-year-old is reported missing, you don't take the person she's missing with. Like, even if you voluntarily went with him, I don't know. I feel like you could still get kidnapping charges, no? No, well, there's no, not if she voluntarily went with him. (laughs) All right, she wasn't against her will. uh, But she's 16. She's a baby. Well, in any event, there was no charges. What would you do if I was... In the car with a 19-year-old at age 16. What would I do? <laughs> you know what I would do. No, I don't. I'm asking you, like, wh- like, would you want, like, with that person? Would you want? Would you say, like, hold them till I get there? Well, yes. I would say, listen, I need to talk to that individual. And yeah. Keep him there till I get there. I want to know. What... I think at least they should have kept him there till the parents got there. I want to. I want to know what's going on. I would want to know what's going on. Um, All right, but they so, didn't. But they yeah, didn't. But, they they didn't. Had, but you have to understand, right? Listen, and Wild Request has no idea at this time what's going on in Tinton Falls. That's fair. I get that. But the detectives now begin to start to piece it together. Mm-hmm. All right, they know that Kimberly Burdan is in Wildwood. Mm-hmm. They know that Donald Franks has been released. Mm-hmm. They know that. Andrea Healy has placed three calls to the police department saying that Donald Frank should not be in the condominium. So they begin to put it together. They, mm-hmm. The night, the net begins to tighten around Donald oh, Franks. Oh, yeah. Okay, so after he's released, Kimberly is released into her parents' custody. What happens next? So Kimberly's parents come down. They come from all the way from Hawthorne down to Cape May County. They pick up their daughter. We send two detectives to meet them when they get to their home. We have them waiting, detectives waiting for them when they come to their home. Because a couple of things, we're thinking that, number one, Donald Franks may want to try to reach out for her again. And number two, we're sort of fearing for her safety. I mean, we're convinced that, you know, if she wasn't stopped by, they weren't stopped by the cops in Wild request, she may have very well been also on the side of a road someplace. And while the detectives are traveling up to Hawthorne, there's word around the condominium community that some people think they have seen Donald Franks Mm -hmm. early Thursday morning. The detectives now are in Hawthorne talking to Kimberly Burdan and talking to her about what went on. And initially she was not telling them what went on. She was kind of saying, well, we were there having a good time. I met him on this, denying any type of involvement in the death of 
Andrea Healy, but detectives then began to confront with some of the evidence. Why were you in her car? How come there's blood in the apartment? How come you're with him? And they began to, you know, tell her that if she doesn't tell the truth and cooperate, that she may be in some very serious trouble. And at that point, she tells what happens. So what happened to Andrea Healy? Well, Kimberly Burden then begins to tell the detectives that they came down there to the condominium. Donald Franks had told Kimberly that it was his condominium. He was relaying to her that he was this rock star that was involved in a band and that he was he had this condominium in Tinton Falls. And while they were staying at the house for a couple of days, all of a sudden, Donald Frank says, we have to get out. We have to leave. We have to get outside. Because Andrea Healy had come home. So it was Tuesday night, May 24th, she came home, and that's when she calls the police. So while she's on the phone with the police, Donald Franks and Kimberly Burdan are outside hiding in the woods near the condominium. So they're out there for a period of time. The lights go out. Andrea Healy goes to her bedroom, and Donald Franks sneaks back into the house through a sliding glass door, takes off his shoes, goes into the kitchen, gets a kitchen knife. He's got a billy club with him. What is a billy club? Just It's like a leather, um, it's a slapjack. It's like a leather-covered piece of metal. Ouch. So he sneaks up into her bedroom, and she's asleep in her bedroom, and he comes into her bedroom and stabs her in the back, and then rolls her over and stabs her two more times in the chest, directly in the heart, as at the same time he's having the the slapjack and is hitting her in the head. Oh, my God. And while she is dying, she says to him, why are you doing this to me? Right, like she's helped him tremendously. Right, she's given him an opportunity. She's given him a place to live. She supported him. And now he's murdering her. Why? Her last words in life were, why are you doing this to me? And he says something to the effect, I'm sorry, but I have to do it. Which obviously is the most unbelievable. It's like you don't have to, bro. You didn't, didn't have to do it. Didn't have to. So, I mean, obviously during this struggle, she's trying to defend herself, but she can't do it. And, you know, obviously blood gets... Uh, distributed throughout the apartment and he goes back outside and gets Kimberly Burdan to help him clean up the apartment to get a can of paint repaint the bedroom tear up the carpet wrap the body in a blanket put the body in the trunk of a car and then act as if nothing had happened as they go down to Point Pleasant and walk along the boardwalk and what about the note the note actually was written by Kimberly Burdan. And she was told by Donald Franks what to put in it, but it was her handwriting to make it look like it was the handwriting of Andrea Healy's. Once the police now have this information, mm-hmm. they call the prosecutor's office. Information's relayed to us. We get a warrant for Donald Franks' arrest, and lo and behold, while the detectives are at Kimberly Burdan's house, Donald Franks calls. Wow. Some some good timing there. So 
the detectives, again, on the top of their game, tell Kimberly to keep him on the line. And so she does keep him on the line. He wants to connect with her. He wants to meet with her. And detectives now are running a trace on the phone. So there was tracing, like you could phone trace back in 1988? Yes, you could phone trace. It wasn't like you could ping something off of a... Uh, you had to do a little more. You had to call the phone company. The oh, phone com- wow. phone company had to know which line was receiving the call. You had to use the operators. But I mean, now our phones just have GPS. Like, it's that simple. If someone's phone's on, you could find them. No. You know, we had mechanisms where we could, back in the day, before you, you had all these new fandangle things where you can find anybody on a phone. It's uh, a fandangle. <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Something that's on a new phone. Uh, and, uh, so so we, we traced him, and we traced him to a, a phone booth in a diner in East Rutherford, New Jersey, not too far away. And he was trying to get her to come there and pick him up, and we notified the East Rutherford police. And while he's on the phone with Kimberly Verdan, the East Rutherford police surround the, the phone booth, guns drawn, take him into custody, and... He's now been charged oh, this is great. with murder. There needs to be like a short television series or a movie made about this. And like I said, I have the rights. So well, there you go. So now Frank's is taken into. That's cus- how that works, right? You just say you have the rights, and then you do. I don't know. I don't know. I think you have to. There's probably a little more involved in it. It probably costs some money, but that, that's just how I. Well, that's that's what you do. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's what you do. So you figure it out, and then got it, and we'll do it. I'm on it. So he's taken into custody. And now another team of detectives uh, go up to East Rutherford and take him into custody and bring him back to Tinton Falls where I meet him uh, for the first time in Tinton Falls. What happens so, when, when you meet him and, and have him in there? Well, I meet with the detectives who brought him in and discussion was had as to, you know, what, what do we need to do? Well, number one, we want to locate the body. Uh, we know that she's been killed. Uh, we know it's somewhere down in uh, Lower Township. We need some idea as to where the body may be. And number two, we want him to, to tell us what happened. And after several hours of discussion between the detectives and uh, Donald Franks, he does give us a statement and tells us where the body is located, tells us what versions of events, which matched fairly closely with what Kimberly Burdan had told us, except he said that she was more involved mm. than she indicated to us. She said she, he said she was there, that uh, she was downstairs. But one thing that was very consistent is that he's the one who actually killed her, stabbed her, beat her, choked her to death. So with the information that we had, now we're getting into the early morning hours of late Friday night, early Saturday morning, we sent a team of detectives to meet with the Wildwood Crest and Lower Galloway Township uh, police. And we begin to search the area. And on Saturday morning now, we locate the body of Andrea Healy. Wow. The following week, Donald Franks is arraigned in Superior Court in Monmouth County. Judge John Arnone sets bail at the amount of $350,000, and now we prepare to try Donald Michael Franks, realizing that if, in fact, what she said was true and we could corroborate it, the fact that he burglarized the place, mm-hmm. her condominium, with the intent to kill her, was a death penalty prosecution. Oh, shit. 
It's another death penalty case, people. And what about Kimberly Burdan? Like, are there charges well, being against yeah, her? Like, we, what, what's going on with her? We charged her uh, as a juvenile with hindering the apprehension of Donald Franks, assisting him in covering up the aspects of the murder. And then shortly thereafter, it was discovered that, uh, or she reported to us that she, in fact, had become pregnant by Donald Franks. <gasps> oh, my God. There's so many layers to this case. Yes. Holy and, shit. Uh, oh, my God. Okay, well, I think we're going to end it there. We're doing this in a two-part episode because... There are so many layers to this case, and we're going to go next episode into the trial and all of that, the nitty-gritty details of, of what happened there. But I think we'll end it there. This is, I've very much enjoyed this one so far. And it's our first two-parter. It's our first two-parter. <laughs> Maybe our last. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Um, if the world doesn't end by, by the next it episode. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much for listening. Send us an email at familycrimecast at gmail.com if you want to send us any tidbits. We'd love to hear from you. I love you, Ryan. I love you too, Dad. <laughs>